So what does it take to bring any sort of movement in that process from here to there? Well, I think what it takes is consistency. Small, consistent decisions accumulated over time into a whole make a big difference. Welcome to episode 20 of the Lead Forward Podcast. This is Dave Funk. I hope today's episode encourages, equips, and helps you lead forward. Well, I want to start by mentioning that our BC Yukon District Annual Conference is coming up in just a couple of weeks, March 5 to 7 in Kelowna, BC, just up the road from me. I'm excited to be there, and I hope you'll be there too if you're a BC Yukon leader. Uh, make sure you say hi and let me know if you listen. It's always encouraging to know that you're out there. I'm also looking forward to meeting our guest speaker, Carrie Newhoff. Uh, Carrie pastors Connexus Church in Ontario, but he's probably better known as a podcaster and author. His podcast is definitely worth the listen every week for any leader. It's called the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Check it out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be uh, putting his talks from conference on the Lead Forward podcast uh, at some point afterwards as well. But for today's episode of the Lead Forward podcast, I'm doing something a little different. I struggled with whether or not to do this because it seemed a little egotistical, but I've recorded one of my own leadership talks for you today. Recently, I spoke at a regional gathering of pastors in the Okanagan. I talked about one of the things that I believe is an essential key to fruitful ministry, and that is consistency. I've learned this not from myself, but from watching others, specifically my dad, who was a pastor and over many years provided consistent um patient, loving leadership. And I tell you, the fruit of long-term consistent leadership is incredible. Now, my talk wasn't actually recorded at that regional gathering, so I took some time to speak to an empty room and repeat the talk so I could record it. I know it's a little odd, but it worked. And just imagine a couple dozen leaders in the room while you listen. Anyways, I hope this encourages you and helps you consider what consistency would look like in your own context. In 1988, my family uh, moved to Victoria, where my dad became the pastor of Colwood Pentecostal Church. And he spent his time at Colwood pastoring faithfully for 28 plus years, which is incredibly rare. I mean, there are very few stories of pastors making that long in churches and serving with uh, such great distinction for such a long time. But one of the amazing things about uh, seeing him pastor all that time is now as I've grown up and become a pastor myself, uh, so much of what I know and what I've learned have just come from observing him. You know, I was four when we uh, moved there and I grew up in the kids ministry of the church, in the youth group. I went off to Bible college, encouraged and supported by my church family. Then I came back to Colwood and I interned there a couple summers in a row. Uh, and while doing that, uh, they launched me out to plant a campus ministry at the University of Victoria. And then after almost five years of that, uh, I came on staff at Colwood as the associate pastor for another five years before moving to Penticton into my current into my current role. And uh, in all that time, being able to observe my dad's leadership, and he's by no means a perfect pastor or a perfect person, uh, but seeing the success of Colwood Church and what he was able to build into the ministry there, uh, probably the most important lesson I learned is this. Consistency is the key to fruitful ministry. 
consistency is the key to fruitful ministry. You know, I recognize, obviously, that without the power of the Holy Spirit, we do not have what we need in order to accomplish God's purposes in our lives. And I I also recognize that prayer is what moves things. Prayer is what partners us with the power of God. And, And so prayer is obviously the incredible key to fruitful ministry. But when it comes to the practical, everyday decisions and leadership of running and leading and serving a church, consistency is key. Again, I don't want to sound like an expert and want to be as humbly humble as possible in talking about this, and that's why I reference really just learning this through watching another consistent leader. But think about uh, these 28 years that my dad pastored one church. That's around 1,450 Sundays. That's 360-something board meetings, countless counseling sessions, leadership meetings, foyer handshakes, Monday morning emails. Uh, When he arrived at Colwood, it was a healthy little church in a growing area of town with about 150 faithful people uh, and uh, had a fairly new facility. I mean, it was a great start for him as he began to lead there. And over 28 years, there were certainly ups and downs and some major challenges along the way. Uh, also, some really cool things that happened. Two major building programs, including building a new gymnasium. He went through uh, training and developing and sending off dozens of young leaders and staff members that were under his leadership. And when he left the church, the, close was, the church was close to about 500 people, had been making a huge impact in the area. And now a couple years after his retirement, continues to be healthy, built on uh, many of the foundational pieces that he put into place. And so I want to talk today about consistency, what it means to be consistent in leadership and how that can build health and life into a church. You know, uh, years ago, Bill Hybels started his uh, leadership summit talk by talking about, you know, feeling a little bit under, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't really know what he was doing in leadership. And so he started his talk talking about how he had this kind of crisis where he was praying and asking God, God, like, do I know anything? Is there anything I'm good at? Is there anything that I can do as a leader? And God reminded him that there were a couple of things he did know. And so in, in his talk, he shared a couple of those things. And so one of the things he said is, one thing I know is that leadership is about moving people from here to there. And so he drew this diagram uh, where he, you know, circle here and then a line to there. And he said, that's what leadership is. And then he went on in his talk to, to describe vision casting, telling people uh, how great it is it going to be to be there, and then convincing people how staying here is a terrible idea. And that's those are kind of the two keys to casting a great vision and beginning to get people moving. And I've actually watched that a couple times and been inspired. And over the years, I've, I've considered it. Uh, and kind of uh, allowed his thoughts to, to to spin me off into different directions. And so uh, though his talk was talking about vision casting, I started to think about some other things. I started to think about the middle part. I wondered what happens between here and there? What happens between the point of casting the vision and accomplishing the vision? What happens in that gap? Because we all know that 
going from here to there doesn't just happen overnight. You know, the things that uh, my dad built into Colwood Church and the success it had and the growth it had didn't just happen overnight. There were certain things that took 28 years to come to fruition. So what happens in the middle? You know, a lot of leaders, especially younger guys like me, we have a tendency to really want to push people between here and there. We have this great vision, these great ideas, this great concept of what our churches and ministries can look like. And so we just want to push people as fast as we can to get to that fulfillment of the vision. But what that does is it actually short circuits some of the most important aspects of vision development and goal setting. Because I believe that the middle part between here and there is what we call discipleship. And that's the ultimate goal. There can't really be the goal because there is in some ways unattainable. Yes, we're going to achieve goals. Yes, we're going to, we're going to accomplish things. But, but quote unquote, there is really heaven. It's resurrection. It's the return of Jesus. It's complete sanctification. It's all these things that are only finalized as we get fully established into the ultimate presence of God. And so it's the, the middle part where leaders live. And that is discipleship. That's bringing people along. That's walking through life with people. And that's the ultimate goal. So what does it take to bring any sort of movement in that process from here to there? Well, I think what it takes is consistency. Small, consistent decisions accumulated uh, over time into a whole make a big difference. How we lead over time is more important than how we lead in any given moment. It is more important than a specific outreach event or a new program or a single preaching series. You know, every young preacher thinks that one sermon is going to change everything in their youth ministry. And maybe for one person, that one sermon kind of pushes them over the edge of faith. But in general, one sermon is just a part of the, of the larger puzzle. And we need consistent preaching over many years. Consider 28 years of faithful preaching. Consider 1,500 faithful sermons. What could that produce in a disciple that one can't? You see, moments are fleeting, but consistency over time builds a culture. The little things you do consistently now have a major shaping effect over time for better or for worse. Now picture a a line graph where uh, you have on the y-axis, you have, uh, you know, grumpiness. You know, I've, I've noticed over time, uh, I'm in my mid-30s now, I am a grumpier person than I was in my mid-20s. This has to do with the fact that uh, in my mid-20s, I didn't have three little munchkins living with me, uh, causing me to have a lack of sleep, um, you know, punching me in places that don't feel good, all kinds of things happening in my life. So yes, I, I, I will admit that over the last 10 years or so, I have become a grumpier person. So imagine this line graph, the y-axis is grumpiness and the x-axis uh, axis is uh, time. Now, let's say I get 3% grumpier every single year, right? So you draw that line and, you know, year over year, it's not really that noticeable, but think 30 years later, right? 
I become that grumpy church curmudgeon that we all know and love so well, right? It's slow consistency over time, which makes a major change, again, for better or worse. So so positive or negative attributes, positive or negative leadership, positive or negative events consistently over time make a big difference. Now, conversely, you know, not talking about grumpiness, but let's talk about our ministries. What if I get 3% better as a leader every year? What if our ministry budget grows by 3%? What if our attendance grows by 3%? Or our people get more, uh, get 3% more engaged in the word every year? What if I can help my staff get 3% better at their jobs? What if there are 3% more evangelistic conversations happening in the community? What if 3% more people in our city have a positive experience with a Christian this year? What if 3% more kids go to bed with two parents in the home? Right? If these sorts of things accumulate year after year consistently, it makes a major difference. You know, the church, the church was launched on the day of Pentecost, you know, in the early 30s AD. A few thousand people were there in the beginning. Fast forward to the year 300, or a little bit after that, Constantine, uh, Emperor Constantine comes into power and declares Christianity uh, the, the religion of Rome, because there are now six million Christians in Rome, basically taking the place over, turning the tide making it the state religion. Not everything about that was positive, but, but it, it, it came to a point where it was absolutely changing the world. Now, how fast do you have to grow to go from a few thousand after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus to six million in less than 300 years? 3.5% per year. 3.5% per year. Sometimes we get this weird notion that there was just this incredibly explosive growth that just was sustained for hundreds of years, but it was just really slow, consistent growth. And that growth included everything from pagan converts to Jewish converts and even the birth rate among Christians. The church just slowly, consistently grew by 3.5% every year and the entire world was changed, right? It would have actually taken 30 years for the church to double in size. So imagine 30 years after the day of Pentecost, you thought by now, you know, maybe, maybe you were saved when you were, you know, a 30, 30 year old Jewish man, you had just come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. You got saved, joined the church. You know, you're reading all the promises. You're learning the teachings of Jesus. You're expecting this thing to just take over the world instantly. Now, 30 years later, you're 60 years old, you're aging, you're coming near to the end of your life or lifespans in those days. And you're thinking, man, like, that we're spread throughout the world. There's still only a few thousand of us. What's going on? But it's still the consistency of believers over time absolutely changed the world. But you know what? It's not hard to imagine our churches growing by 3.5% per year. It's not hard. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to lead explosive growth, but it's not actually necessary. If we want to change the world, we don't need explosive growth. We need consistent growth. We need consistent growth. So let's talk about uh, 
Sundays for a minute. Church is not all about Sunday, but obviously Sunday is a major strategic element of our ministry and and uh, the invitational culture of our church and how we measure uh, our growth. And so my question then is, do people experience consistency when they show up at church? Or when they show up at a small group or they show up at a ministry event, do they experience consistency? You know, if your friend is asking for a restaurant recommendation and you know of a restaurant that has excellent food, but the staff are rude and the wait times are forever and the price is too high, will you recommend that restaurant? Probably not. But if you do, maybe the food is just that great that you'll recommend it. But if you do recommend it, you'll give a disclaimer. You'll say, hey, just so you know, the food is great, but the server will probably swear at you, (laughs) right? You're going to give a disclaimer. Why? Because you don't want to have to apologize after the meal. You don't want them to come back at you and say, hey, man, what about those servers? You didn't warn me that these guys are so rude and they spat in my food and all this kind of stuff because I said something to them. So you're going to give a disclaimer so you can say, hey, listen, this might happen if you go there, so don't get mad at me. Now, think about this in context of your church and people inviting or recommending others to come to your church. What if your church has great music two out of four Sundays a month, but the other two, it's really, really bad? What if the preaching is pretty good most weeks, but once a month or so, it's terrible, What if the kids' ministry is great, but the people aren't friendly or welcoming? Those are issues of inconsistency. You know, people at your church are either not going to invite anyone, or they're going to have to make a disclaimer, right? Hey, just so you know, if you come to church, the preacher is normally great, but sometimes he gets really political. So just so you know, just so you know, that might happen. Right, just so you know, uh, our kids' ministry at church is safe, fun, your kid will have a great time. Oh, unless Pete is on the schedule. If Pete is signing your kids in, don't drop your kids off in there. Pete's not safe. Right? Just so you know, uh, once in a while, there's this, there's this weird lady in church who stands up in the middle of the sermon and starts yelling out, praying in tongues. Just so you know. You know, she's harmless, but, but it might happen. These are disclaimers that we don't want our people to have to make because they're either going to have to make them and put people off or they're just not going to bother inviting people because they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want people to think it's weird. They don't want to ruin the testimony of, of the church and of Jesus. We don't want people to have to make disclaimers because of inconsistencies. So one, no disclaimers before church, and two, no apologies after church. That's the hope when it comes to consistency. We don't want people to drive home, bring in their friends home after church and say, oh man, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that that would happen. If people are worried that they're going to have to apologize for something that happened when when a friend comes to church, they're not going to bother inviting them in the first place. So we want our people to feel confident that if they invite a friend, regardless of their church background, they know what their friend will experience. They'll experience a a warm welcome, a peaceful atmosphere, excellent skill from musicians and other leaders, a well-crafted and thoughtful sermon, a safe, fun kids ministry, and this will happen week after week after week. People need to know that this will be consistent or else they will have no confidence an invitation. Now, consistency does not mean everything always stays the same. 
it's easy to turn our value of consistency into religion or empty tradition. And that's not what I'm talking about. You see, we have consistency around things that are important. Some of those elements I already described, but also things like doctrine, the atmosphere we're trying to create, uh, the leadership and quality of ministry. But we must consistently provide variety in other areas. We want to have variety in sermon topics and things like stage design or special features and the different events and outreach opportunities we offer. But the atmosphere and leadership and excellence of all those different varying events and styles will have consistency to them. Actually, one of the things you can do is have a consistency of change so that people are used to things being switched up. Right? Because one of the things that easily happens in church is sacred cows get developed so fast. So a simple thing that, that uh, we did at Bethel and Penticton is we started just very regularly to make simple superficial changes to the stage design. A different lighting scheme, little backgrounds, uh, stage design uh, based on the sermon topics. And so what that does is it's, it's, that's not creating inconsistency. What that does is it's creating a consistency of minor changes that start to build a culture where people say, hey, things will continue to, to change around here with creativity, even though uh, the important things remain consistent, so that when you want to make a big change, uh, a ministry shift, a strategic shift, then people are used to change because you've been consistent and you're not putting people into shock. So anyways, consistency means no disclaimers before church and no apologies after church. So a couple of things uh, of application, then I'll give uh, a couple quick examples to finish. Uh, first of all, what we can all do is begin, like with Bill Heibel's talk, we can begin with identifying the there. Where do we want to go? What's the goal? What's the there? How do we want this ministry to change? Where do we see our church 28 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, one year from now? What will our church look like then? What do we want to see in a particular ministry? What will our impact in the city be? So identify what there is. But secondly, we all need to be honest about here. What is the current state of your church? or ministry? What is your community impact now? What types of things are going on that are just unacceptable? What sort of inconsistencies are happening that need to be fixed? And then thirdly, what are two or three small adjustments that can be made and done consistently that might slowly make changes? How can I make sure that I, as a leader, and being consistent. I'm using consistent language. I'm, I'm treating people consistently. People, people know what they're going to get from their pastor, uh, if they're going to bring a friend, or if they're going to come for counseling, or if, or if they, they have a need. Well, how can I personally be consistent? One of the things that I did three years ago when I started at Bethel was I did a bit of an experiment to see how consistent I had to be with vision casting in order for it to permeate the congregation. And so I, I started you know, just saying something regularly at the end of a sermon or during announcements or in a board meeting or tagging it on emails, and it was nothing genius. You've heard it before, uh, but it was just something that was uh, suitable for our church. And so I started to say the phrase, hey, everybody, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I said it over and over again all the time. The best is yet to come. I really believe that our people needed to hear that statement so that they could begin to pull their thoughts and minds out of the past and begin to look to the future, to what God had in store for us. 
So I said it over and over and over and over and over again. And three months later is when I first started to hear people say it back to me. So what that told me was it took consistently uh, saying the same thing for three months before anybody said, oh, this is important enough that we're supposed to actually believe this, talk about this, think about this ourselves, not just our pastor. So it was the consistency of that statement that led to the results that I was looking for. So a couple other things quickly um, that uh, just kind of points of application. Uh, One of the things that we really wanted to see transform at Bethel was that we wanted to see our our kids and families uh, grow. We wanted to see more kids in our ministry, more families show up and and so how are we going to do this? And so we, we decided there were just certain things that we needed to make slight adjustments in and then be consistent about, right? Be consistent about. So we just started to, to make sure that any event that we were going to host or put on, anything we asked people to come to, we did our best to make sure there, were, there was kids' care at those events. So we wanted to make sure that families had the same access to ministries and events and opportunities as anybody else who didn't have to deal with things like babysitting or bedtimes. And so we just made sure that there were there was kids care available at every ministry. We also just did our best to make sure that on our board, we had at least one millennial, someone under the age of 35, so that uh, people in that age group of having young families and starting to get married and have kids, they were represented in the major decisions that were made by the board. We consistently prayed for our kids on Sunday mornings, right before the offering. We prayed for the offering. We had kind of a list of things that I would pray for from the front. And I always, every single Sunday and continue to do so, I pray for the kids to make sure they are up front, to make sure people see that we value them. We did things like we changed the timing of certain events to make sure families had access to them. Things like our our Christmas Eve service, which is a major outreach event every year, uh, it used to be at 7 p.m., which families weren't coming to because it was just who's going to bring kids to a Christmas Eve service at 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So we had a 5 p.m. service and it got flooded with families. That was the only real change, but it just made the small adjustment that made space for families. We improved our online presence because anybody under 40 is not going to come to your church unless you have a decent website, you're using social media, and they can get a sense of the experience and what's going on online before they show up physically at the doors. So all of these things are small, consistent decisions that led to major fruit in our church. We've seen our kids' ministry grow by 500 times. My first Sunday there, there were like 10 kids in kids' church. Today, we get 50 to 60 kids in kids' church three years later, and it's not because we're geniuses. It's because we made a whole bunch of small changes and did them consistently over a long period of time. One last example that I think is really important in the kind of culture that you want to create, because one of the things we need to do as shepherds of our church is to make sure our people know that uh, their shepherd is watching over them and keeping them safe. So one of the things that we need to do as shepherds is consistently show our people our rod and our staff, right? The shepherd had the rod and the staff. The staff corralled the sheep. The rod was, was used for discipline. And so one of the things that we need to do is make sure that we are using those well and we are using them lovingly, and we are using them to protect the sheep, and we're using them publicly 
so that our people can see that we're in a safe place. So we need to learn to say no. We need to learn to tell people sometimes that they're wrong. We need to tell people, no, we're, we're not going to do that, or you're not going to do that. People need to know that there's a shepherd in the field. I remember uh, once there was, there was a service where I was finishing my sermon, and as I was concluding my prayer, there was this man standing at the front of the stage, and, uh, and I didn't know him. He wasn't a part of our church, and he's there asking me if he can share a word with the congregation, and I very publicly denied him because he's not a part of our flock. He's not a part of our group. Our people don't know him. So why would I just allow a stranger to address our congregation? That's not a good move by a shepherd. And so my, what was great about that was not so much that that guy got rejected because that's not always wonderful, but my people got to see their shepherd using his rod and his staff saying, no, there are parameters here. There are rules. There is order. The Bible talks about bringing order to our service. And one of the things about our church is that if you are not a part of the body, if you're not a member, if you're not serving, if you're not giving, there's not really a microphone for you. There's not a platform for you. I remember my first annual meeting, right? My first annual meeting ever as a lead pastor. So I was chairing my first meeting. Uh, A guy gets up and starts asking a question, which is obviously fine. And then he begins to make a motion about something. And right then and there, I had to shut it down and say, well, this is not on the agenda. I'm sorry. We can talk about this later. And maybe the board can deal with your question another time. And it's not like what he was saying was bad, but one of the things the church needs to see is that there is order, there is a leader, there is a shepherd, and this is a safe place where things aren't going to get out of line, the wolves aren't going to get any any foothold, there's going to be orderly worship, right? I remember my dad telling me the story, someone in his church who had kind of prophetic gifting and a a legitimate prophetic gifting. But sometimes uh, the prophets in the church, you know, and the pastor can kind of butt heads because the prophets kind of want to let everything wide open and the pastor wants things a little bit more orderly. And maybe that's just me and my dad. And, uh, but after, after years of, of her having, you know, a bit of a challenge with the way my dad created order, she finally recognized, she came to him, listen, for a long time, I thought that you were quenching the work of the spirit, but now I have realized you have just been protecting the sheep. So my dad consistently year after year showed his congregation, his rod and his staff, and they recognized it was a safe place. And that created an environment for people to flourish and grow. So thank you. Consistency. Consistency is the key to fruitful ministry. You've been listening to the Lead Forward podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, you can find more leadership resources at leadforward.ca. I hope you'll join us next time.